We're going to have our reading now in the expectation that as we read the Bible and as Don explains it to us, that God will speak to us. Now, this is a huge long reading. I think if you're going to have the whole thing, it's about 15 minutes uh, from Daniel chapters 4 and 5. So uh, what we're going to do, I'll give us a quick pricey of chapter 4, read just a few verses from the end of it, then Emily will read chapter 5 and then Don will speak to us. But let's pray now and ask that God would speak to us as his word is read and explained. So let's pray together. Father, we pray now that as we open your word, you would speak to us all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, in in Daniel uh, chapter 4, Daniel is able to interpret dreams and visions from King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, And in in chapter 4 here, uh, Daniel is explaining to the king that his kingdom is going to grow. And then he's going to have some kind of a a mental breakdown. Uh, And he will be driven from his people. And then he will uh, become like an animal, eating grass and living with the animals. And then after that, when he acknowledges that heaven rules, he will be restored to his kingdom. And it happened exactly as Daniel had explained. He interpreted the dream and he explained that this is exactly what's going to happen. And that is exactly what did happen. And at the end of chapter 4, we read this in the word of God. So this is verses 34 to 37. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now Evan is going to read chapter 5 and Don will speak to us. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. 
Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed round his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the wise men, all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed round your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted, and those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed of his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets them 
and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honour the God who holds in, your, holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parsin. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed round his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Well, thank you, Emily. If it's any relief, it was a long reading. The sermon does not also have to be uh, the longest for a very long time. But we are still going to be thinking about quite a big question uh, this evening. The question is, how do we respond to God being in charge of our lives? That's the question that these uh, chapters uh, really raise. So that's what we're going to be thinking about. Do keep your Bibles open as we look together at uh, Daniel chapters 4 and 5. But first... Let me just pray. Father God, thank you that we can learn from these stories, even if they are literally ancient history. Help us to learn more about you now as we look at the passage. May we grow more to love you as our mighty sovereign God. Amen. Now, it may be a a surprise to those who don't know me that I'm not very good with authority. Uh, I say that may be a surprise, but generally speaking, if someone tells me to do something, my natural inclination is to do exactly the opposite. And that makes Daniel quite a hard book for me to read, because Daniel is all about the fact that our God is a sovereign God, and that God is in charge, not me. In fact, you could sum the whole book up perhaps by those verses in Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 to 37, where he says, God's kingdom endures forever, and everything the Lord does is right, and all his ways are just. So the big question for us this evening is, well, how do I respond to that? How do I feel about the fact that God is sovereign? that there is a righteous and just God who sits in judgment over me and my life. That judge, by the way, is of course the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus says that the Father has entrusted 
all things and all judgment to him. And that means that when Nebuchadnezzar is talking about uh, the Most High God uh, in these chapters, well, he's also talking about the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so from now on, I'm going to sort of use the phrases God or the Lord interchangeably to try and capture that idea as we go through these passages. Now, there are three responses to God's sovereignty in those chapters that uh, we've just heard read to us. There's Belshazzar's, who simply rejects the Lord. There's Nebuchadnezzar's, who accepts the Lord. And then there's Daniel, and Daniel is serving the Lord. So we're going to look at those three aspects as we look at those three characters, Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, Daniel. So Belshazzar, he rejects the Lord, and the result of that rejection is death. In the story of Belshazzar's feast, uh, is so well known, I'm not going to recap it now, uh, it gives us that phrase, the writing on the wall, uh, doesn't it, that, that, that message uh, that there's trouble coming. Um, well, that writing, when Daniel interpreted it uh, in chapter 5, verse 25, uh, was exactly that. It told Belshazzar not only that there was trouble coming, but it was coming pretty soon. Your days have been numbered, he says. Your life has been weighed and it's fallen short. It's fallen short of God's perfect standard. And now, as a result of that, Belshazzar was going to lose everything. And we know not only from this book, but from other historical sources, that that is exactly what happened. Belshazzar is having his feast. Uh, the Medo-Persian Empire uh, is attacking them. And they come in that night. And that very night, as we see in verse 30, Belshazzar is dead. Now that is quite simply what the Bible tells us is the result of rejecting God. Jesus is very clear. He offers eternal life to anybody who comes to him. When we turn to him we are made perfect in God's eyes at that point we meet God's standards and that is the only way we can do that but the flip side to that if you like uh, is that there is eternal punishment and there is eternal death for those who choose to reject God Jim Packer says few things are more strongly stressed in the Bible than the reality of God as judge Revelations 20.12 says that everyone the great the Belshazzars the Nebuchadnezzars of this world the great and the small will all stand before the judgment seat when the books of life are open and Belshazzar in this story has chosen death he has deliberately rejected God you can see that, you look at verses 2 and, and to 4, uh, you can see there that he's deliberately calling for the gold and the silver cups, the things that were holy, the things that were precious, were dedicated to God. He's getting those out of the, uh, uh, the storeroom, wherever they were put after the treasury of the uh, temple in Jerusalem was looted. Uh, and he's bringing those out and he's deliberately making fun of God, uh, rejecting God by drinking 
uh, and um, toasting the other gods. And I think when we read this passage, you kind of think, it's a bit tough on Belshazzar, isn't it? He's not given much chance to respond to this message. It seems very sudden, very immediate, almost capricious. But just look at verse 22. It's a very telling verse. Bel- Daniel talking to Belshazzar. And he says, Belshazzar, you haven't humbled yourself before God, even though you knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. So Belshazzar knew about the Lord. In fact, historians think Belshazzar was actually quite old by this stage. He'd probably worked with Nebuchadnezzar uh, in uh, in the administration of the empire. And if you look back over the last few chapters, you think, well, Belshazzar would have seen Nebuchadnezzar going mad and being restored again. We're going to come on to chapter 4. He would have seen and heard about the fiery furnace in in chapter 3 that we were talking about last week. Uh, He would have heard the instructions from Nebuchadnezzar after that, that nobody was to speak against God. Uh, He'd have heard Nebuchadnezzar's testimony to the signs and wonders he'd experienced in chapter 4. So Belshazzar has seen and heard and read about a God who rescues, but he's rejected him. And of course, Belshazzar, interestingly, is in a multi-faith society, isn't he? It's pretty obvious. You look at verse 4, there's all these other gods around. There's no hint there that it's okay to reject the God of the Bible and to follow some other God. It really does give the lie to the idea that all religions lead to God. Verse 23, Daniel condemns Belshazzar for following other religions and not worshipping the one Lord who alone gives life. There is no plan B. We reject God and we face death. So Belshazzar's example is a quite a stark warning, isn't it? To people who perhaps have been coming along to BH or coming along to church for a while, who've been hearing the good news, perhaps you've been to an Alpha course, uh, perhaps you've got another half, husband, wife, partner, whatever, who talks about Christian things and maybe you, uh, you humour them, come along occasionally just to uh, listen to keep them quiet. Well, the warning here is that it's not good enough just to listen What's needed is to acknowledge that God is Lord. Being aware of Jesus Christ does not guarantee your salvation. We need to trust him. You see, what happens to Belshazzar is a picture of what happens to anybody who rejects the Lord. Well, that's not terribly cheerful, is it? So, good to move on to Nebuchadnezzar, because Nebuchadnezzar accepts the Lord and lives. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, by any standards, was impressive. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 18, Daniel describes him as great, glorious, majestic, feared by everyone, with the power of life and death. And from history, we know he won battles, built an empire, built Babylon. It was a fantastic place. And so we get to chapter 4, verse 30, and there he is, he's looking down from his palace terrace he's looking out over his city 
And he says, look what I've done. Look what I've built. Look what I've achieved. All by myself. And that pride means that there's no room in Nebuchadnezzar's life for anybody else. There's certainly no room for the Lord. Life is just about him. And so as a result of that, the Lord needs to deal with it. And that's why we have the dream of the tree, which is Nebuchadnezzar and his empire. The tree being felled, but the stump is retained. The powerful king uh, is brought down. You see that in verse 33. Now, last week, Phil was talking about idols, how we can make stuff in our life uh, more important uh, than the Lord, so that they end up taking his place. And the same thing is really happening here with pride. When we're so proud of something, then actually we have taken the place of God in our own lives. And I was going to suggest at this point that perhaps uh, we prepared lists, either mentally or or, or real lists, and we wrote down, listed the things that we were particularly proud of. I did it for myself, and it included things like um, some work that I've done, uh, my my family, uh, dare I say it, the house, uh, even actually down to my tomato plants, which I think are doing rather well uh, this year, thanks to Pam Wilkins. Uh, So... There are all sorts of things that we can be proud of that begin to edge out the Lord. So that may be something you want to do, to think what those things may be in your life. But because Phil touched on that last week and challenged us over that, I want to build on that a little bit and take a a slightly uh, additional point and say, well, what is the nature of this God who wants us to get rid of the idols? Because he sounds like a bit of a killjoy, doesn't he? He sounds like a God who wants to take away the things that we treasure and enjoy and just focus on him. Well, have a look at what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. Because God intervenes in his life, we see him suffering uh, this, this madness, this mad episode. And then look what happens in verse 34. In verse 34, he changes perspective. Instead of looking down, he says he lifts his eyes to heaven. He was looking down, and now he's looking up. And he says that when he does that, then comes restoration. Right through verses 34 to 36, you see that word restoration. He says, my sanity was restored. And then later on, he says his throne and his honour and his splendour was restored. In fact, in even greater glory than it was before. The point is, Nebuchadnezzar's life is so much better after he has raised his eyes and turned back to God. In in modern language we would say Nebuchadnezzar has repented he's turned his life around and he's fixing his eyes not downwards but upwards on Jesus and that idea of prosperity and everything coming back to him we see that other places in the Bible Job's a good example isn't it and it's a picture of the riches that Christians enjoy in the Lord Paul talks about every spiritual blessing. He talks about being rich in Christ. 
there is so much that we enter into in terms of peace, hope, joy, security. When we turn to the Lord, we are spiritually rich. Pope Francis has a similar point. He says, the commandments are not a litany of prohibitions. Don't do this, don't do that. He says, on the contrary, they're a great yes. Yes to God. Yes to love. Yes to life. It's a good quote. A great yes to God, to love and to life. Now our pride prevents us from turning to the Lord and many of us, like Nebuchadnezzar, just don't have room in our life for God. Well, we need to stop looking down. We need to start looking up and allow the Lord to be sovereign and then enjoy that eternal life that he has on offer. So, Nebuchadnezzar accepts life and lives. Uh, Belshazzar, sorry, Nebuchadnezzar accepts the Lord and lives. Belshazzar rejects the Lord and dies. What about Daniel? Well, Daniel serves his Lord and he speaks out. Certainly, you know, Daniel doesn't let pride get in his way, does he? Daniel is the top man in the kingdom, but on both of these stories, in chapter 4, chapter 5, he is the last person to be called. He's the last resort. Not very flattering, is he? But how does he respond? Well, in both those situations, Daniel speaks out. Even though uh, he must have been scared, both Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar hear the word of the Lord because Daniel is filled with the Holy Spirit and he speaks God's word into the situation and that's what prophets do prophets speak God's words and the Bible says that we all need to be prophets we don't that doesn't mean we're all going to be fortune tellers it doesn't mean we're going to be bellowing about judgment day all the time But prophets speak God's truth into their situation. They speak his revealed word. And you do it in a way, we do it in a way that is right. So if you look at how Daniel behaves here with Nebuchadnezzar, uh, verse 19, he's very gentle, very polite. He's quite sympathetic with Nebuchadnezzar. And then you look at chapter 5, verse 17, dealing with Belshazzar, he's much more direct. Perhaps time was limited. I don't know. Very direct. You, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. He gives him both barrels, doesn't he? So being prophetic doesn't mean um, being insensitive or being rude. But it does mean being prepared to speak out. Because like Daniel, every Christian has God's spirit within them we have a holy spirit and that holy spirit we know gives us gifts and paul talks about that in in corinthians 1 corinthians 14 39 he says there look it's great to speak in tongues but more important is to be prophetic he says pray that you will prophesy paul wants us to be able to speak god's truth into our situations and that has always been true that's nothing special new in the new testament way back in the old testament in numbers uh, moses says at one point oh that all god's people would prophesy so if you are a christian believer listening to this 
then pray that you will be prophetic in your situation. I need to pray that too, that I will be prophetic. I will speak out because, my goodness, the country needs it right now, doesn't it? The people around us need to hear God's word. You know, even the secular press is describing our country as full of a people who are terrified, people who have lost their moral compass, was a phrase that came up recently, wasn't it? But these are our friends. They're our work colleagues. They're our neighbours. They're the folk we're going to meet at school uh, and at college. And actually, many of them, like Belshazzar, they are pale with fear. Their mind is full of scary thoughts. They are unable to move, apparently, recently, even to go shopping. People are scared. You know, the infection rate for COVID-19 in the UK is apparently running at something like 1 in 600. That is about 0.1.5%. The infection rate for sin in this country is 100%. So when we worry more about whether or not people have got COVID than whether we worry more about whether they are infected by sin, then we have our priorities wrong, don't we? We need to establish a counter-narrative, as they say. We need to remind folk that God is in control. We do need to remind folk that death is not the end for those who trust in the Lord Jesus. We are not a people who are just led by science. We are led by the God who does as he pleases with the powers of heaven, to use Nebuchadnezzar's words. And when we die says Calvin, we don't face a severe judge. We're going to face a merciful father. You know, if the R rate for Christianity right now was over one, then we wouldn't be building Nightingale hospitals, would we? We'd be building Nightingale churches. And there are lots of ways we can be prophetic. It won't necessarily mean standing up and speaking in difficult situations. You may want to think about what it means for you. Uh, it might be what you say. Uh, it might be what you post. Uh, it might be uh, inviting people to something like uh, Alpha or even to your small group. Uh, or just offering to pray for people. But we do, all of us, need to speak out. Let's pray that we can prophesy. Now, if you'd like to end your meetings or your sermons or whatever with little lists of action points that you can write down who's going to do what next, well, let me sum up as I finish and here are some action points because we've got three uh, responses to God's love and sovereignty in this passage. And the first action point is one not to do. And that's easy, isn't it? Belshazzar's response was to reject the law. <clears throat> that leads to death. So our first action point is don't do that. A better plan is to follow Nebuchadnezzar's example. When he realised that life is not all just about himself. When he learned that instead of looking down, he needed to look up. And he needed to acknowledge that the Lord is sovereign. And when we acknowledge that, then we turn to life and the third action point is for those of us who have made that decision already, is let's pray, let's pray for courage to speak out. Let's pray that we will be prophetic 
in our time and in our place that we will speak God's revealed truth to our neighbours, to our friends. Let's remember that we have a Lord whose kingdom endures forever, whose every work is right and whose ways are just. Let me just pray as we finish and then hand back to Phil. Father, you are seated on the throne and your dominion is eternal. Thank you that you offer us eternal life with you. Help us to look up, not down, and help us to tell others about you. Amen.